Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. We come to you yet again proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord and submitting ourselves to your Lordship and saying, Lord, we know that you have plans for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now as we turn to your word and we look to your spirit, we pray that you would teach us, transform us, renew us, make us more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray, amen. Where do you find your identity? Where do you find your identity? Several years ago, I was invited to go out to Colorado with a group of other men, all strangers from all over the country. And so we converged at the Denver airport. And if you've ever been to the Denver airport, you know that when you drive away from the Denver airport, there's all sorts of signs that say, don't pick up hitchhikers, there's a prison nearby. So we all converged at the Denver airport, got into a van driven by somebody we didn't know. Here we are, a group of individuals that we don't know each other, and we drive off two and a half hours into the Rocky Mountains. And it was very interesting. We spent the next several days at about 8,500 feet of elevation, which meant that we had to drink a lot of water because elevation will mess with you. And we got to know each other. And what was so interesting about us getting to know each other is all of the worldly identifiers that we use to identify ourselves within society were on full display. I mean, we didn't know each other, so we had to get to know each other. And it's a group of guys, so you know what we started with. We started with our vocation. What do you do? And it was a very interesting, eclectic group. It it was, again, people from all over the country, and and there were also, I mean, there was an actor, there was a singer, nobody famous, you wouldn't know him, but, uh, or at least I didn't know him. There was a guy who was a sound and lighting director from a huge mega church on the eastern coast. Um, There were several business owners. There was a pediatric dentist. uh, There was a physician. We were glad both of them were there just in case something went wrong, you know. Um, And then I was the pastor. And we were leading with this is what I do and trying to better understand one another through what we do. Well, the conversation shifted to our families, and most of the guys on the trip were married. Some were single. Most of the married guys had kids. Um, Some were walking through the battle of infertility, and uh, only those who've been through that battle understand how difficult that is. Others were were waiting to have kids until they or their wife was more established in their career, so they were kind of putting that off a little bit, but, but we all... We all had uh, different family situations that we were talking about. Um, Then somebody, I don't even know how this got brought up, but it was was a little awkward. We we started talking about, you know, some guys started talking about their finances and and their investments and things of that nature. And what came out was there were some guys on the trip who were really, really wealthy. And then there were some guys on the trip who were struggling to put it together, you know. most of us were in the middle somewhere. We, you know, we're relatively financially stable, but we're not fans of those unexpected expenditures that can come and throw everything out of whack for a little while. You know what I'm talking about. 
And then we talked about every other thing that we used to identify ourselves. We talked about what we had done in high school, what we had studied, uh, where we had gone to college, if we were in a fraternity or not, uh, if we played a sport or not. Um, we, we even talked about the teams we support and how much we could bench press because it was a group of guys together, you know? All these things were on full display. And maybe right now you're thinking, well, where would I fit in on that? Uh, personally, I've had a little bit of a shoulder injury. I've been nursing for a long time, so my bench press has gone way down. So I got to shy away from that one right now. Um, what identifiers do you use to place yourself in society? See, the point of this retreat what we would learn over the next several days after they had taken our cell phones away from us and it was just us, our guides, and the Holy Spirit surrounded by the beauty of the Rocky Mountains. The one commonality that we all had was we were all Christians. And if we were all followers of Christ, then what we learned on the retreat was that our identity fundamentally needed to be rooted in Jesus and not in all those other things. It's it's not that the other things don't matter. It's not that your family life doesn't matter or your vocational life doesn't matter or even how much you can bench press. It, it's not that that doesn't matter, but it's got to be ordered correctly, and the foundation has to be Jesus. Where do you find your identity? Today, as we return to James chapter 1, our theme is this, by faith, we find identity in Christ. By faith, we find identity in Christ. We're going to James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. If you're in the room, the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 1011. 1011. Remember that James is the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is writing these things as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is what James writes to us, beginning with verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Again, our theme for today is by faith we find identity in Christ. And if you're taking notes, our first point is this. By faith, we reject worldly identifiers. By faith, we reject worldly identifiers. Look again at verse 9. Very short verse, but look what James says. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What is he saying? He's saying that if I am lowly from a worldly perspective, that does not make me less than in the kingdom of God. My lowliness may cause me to be looked upon as less than everywhere in the world, but my lowliness does not make me less than in the kingdom of God. And Jesus spoke to this. Jesus spoke encouraging words to those who were lowly by the world's standards. In Luke chapter 6, we get the Sermon on the Plain. Most of us have heard of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 uh, verses, ver through Matthew chapter 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Jesus also preached a sermon on a plain. It was a flat place. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this as he spoke encouraging words to those who were considered lowly. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. What's he saying? I mean, literally, he is talking to those who are materially poor. And remember, in this society, there was no middle class. You either one of the few, very few elites, or you were lowly. And Jesus is speaking to those who didn't have a chance in the world. There was no, there was no corporate ladder to climb. I mean, you, you, you were what you were. And he's saying, rejoice. Be encouraged. This world is not all there is. That if you will trust and follow me, there, there are riches you cannot imagine. We sang about streets of gold this morning, didn't we? Yeah. That even the most precious thing that we have on this earth is blacktop in heaven. How about that? said, I'm welcoming you to a greater reality. I'm reminding you that this world is not all there is, and your current situation is not all there is. He told a parable of a a rich man and Lazarus. This is not the same Lazarus who was the brother of Mary and Martha who died and was raised again in John chapter 11. This is a different Lazarus. And Jesus is telling this parable of Lazarus who was a beggar at the rich man's gate. And the rich man didn't have much regard at all for Lazarus. He didn't even want him to have the crumbs from his table. And the the two men died, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. He went to heaven. And the rich man went to Hades. And in torment looked and saw Lazarus there by Father Abraham and cried out for mercy. And Father Abraham said, look, you had your good things in your life. That's all you get. Lazarus didn't have any good things, but he was of the fold of Almighty God. And so now he has received his eternal reward. He speaks to all of us of the transcendent hope. And let me remind you, if you're in a tough situation right now, this situation doesn't have the final word for you if you're in Jesus Christ. He has the final word for you. He is going to bring you to be with him. In Christ, it's all going to be okay eventually, even though it may not be okay right this minute. So Jesus spoke encouraging words to those who were lowly from a worldly perspective. They were not considered less than in the kingdom of God. But then Jesus also spoke challenging words to those who were considered wealthy from a worldly perspective. Listen again to verses 10 and 11. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Jesus is saying, James is here saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, if I am wealthy from a worldly perspective, that doesn't make me greater than in the kingdom of God. Later in his letter, James is going to write about not showing favoritism. And it's tempting. It's tempting to show favoritism. There is a reason I don't know what anybody in this church gives except for the four people whose last name is Reynolds that live at my address. And here's why. It would be really tempting when people come to me and say, I need you. And for me to look at the ledger and say, well, you ain't needed me long, you know, that kind of a thing. Or you need to listen to my opinion. Well, you need to give a little more. I mean, you know, so I don't know anything. I don't know what anybody gives except for if your last name is Reynolds and you live in my house. I know what you give. That's it. But Jesus spoke challenging words to those who were considered wealthy 
from a worldly perspective. Again, going to the Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter 6, he said, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying that, that if, if you're rich, you can't be in the kingdom of God? No, not at all. He's going to say in, in a text I'll share in just a moment that it's difficult. But he's saying if your consolation is in your riches, that's not going to last long. How many of y'all remember 2008? Remember 2008? I got a call from my financial advisor on a Friday night in 2008. He never calls me. I was warming up a football team that I was coaching at the time. We were at Barron County High School, out on the field. My phone rang. I thought, what is this? And he left a message and said, I just want to thank you for being a client. We just want you to know we appreciate you and we'll get through this together. I said, something has happened. But here's the thing. Back in 2008, I was 28 years old. Right? I think that's right. Yeah, 28 years old. But I had some friends who were a little older than 28, and they were working on their retirement plans. And guess what happened to their retirement plans in a moment? They changed. Fixing to retire went to, I got two more years of work. Like that. Like that. That's how quick it can happen. That's how quick it can go. So don't find your, your consolation and the foundation of your life in the fact that you've got a lot of money. And by the way, let me just go ahead and indict all of us. If you are a part of this service and you live in North America and you own a vehicle, that puts you in about the top 12% of wealthy people in the world. So when Jesus is talking to the wealthy, you may look across the room and say, well, I don't have as much money as that person. But when you look around the world, you are the elite. You're the top. And so for every one of us, you and me, we listen to Jesus' challenging words to the wealthy because that's all of us. He challenged his hearers to store up not earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? He came up to Jesus and said, good teacher, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus, I love Jesus. Don't you just love Jesus? He was never caught off guard, ever. And he always had the perfect answer. Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, why you call me good? Only one good alone, that's God. Yeah, 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 whatever. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus said, follow the commandments. Jesus knew who he was talking to. He knew this man's heart. He knew where this man struggled. And he knew where this man felt like he was strong. Follow the commandments. Well, which ones? Incidentally, if you're ever talking to Jesus and he says, follow the commandments, don't try to delineate which ones you should follow. He means all of them. But Jesus then lists the commandments that have specific uh, things to do with our interactions with other people. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't, you know, all those sorts of things. And this rich young man, he says, well, I've already done all that. What else do I lack? In other words, 
I need to check the final box. Let me know what it is. He had this false sense of security that because he was among the elite of this day, that that made him among the elite of the kingdom of God. And Jesus looked at him, and the Bible says Jesus loved him and said, one thing you lack, go sell all you own and give it to the poor, and then come, follow me. Then you'll have everlasting life. What was the problem there? Was Jesus, was Jesus making that a universal command that all of us should go sell everything we own and give it to the poor and then come follow him? Well, the universal command is come follow him, but here's the issue. For this young man, he didn't have wealth. Wealth had him. And it gave him this false sense of security that heaven was a commodity too. And all he had to do was make the right business decision. And he was going to get some insider information from Jesus, and he was going to have it squared away so that he could be comfortable in the age to come as well. And Jesus loved him and told him the truth. Don't you rest on your riches. Don't you rest on your riches. You can't take them with you when you go, and you can't buy your way into heaven. Some of you all remember the song from Led Zeppelin. My former pastor, Steve Ayers, often reminded his congregation, that lady was wrong. You can't buy a stairway to heaven. It doesn't work that way. The Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to tell Timothy to search for godliness with material contentment. Listen to what he said. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning about halfway through verse 5 said that some people imagine that godliness is a means of gain. But listen, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. For it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It didn't say money's the root of all evil. It says the love of money is a root of many evils. Can God use those who are wealthy? Well, sure. Look in the New Testament. He used plenty of wealthy people. The women who accompanied Jesus, they ministered to Jesus. They supported his ministry from their means. Joseph of Arimathea. He donated his new tomb, those didn't come cheap, to Jesus when he was taken down off the cross. Joseph, whom we know as Barnabas, sold property and gave the money to the church to support the work of God there in the city. The Ethiopian eunuch made the long and costly journey to go to Jerusalem so that he could learn more about God. Lydia. You remember Lydia who dealt in purple garments? And those of you who love Bowling Green High School, that's your favorite woman in the New Testament, right? Lydia who dealt in purple garments. Well, she was loaded. Purple was expensive. And what did she do? She opened her home for the church to meet there. The church at Philippi, Philippians, right, met in Lydia's home. So can God use people who have means? Absolutely. But I'll tell you who God can't use. God can't use people whose wealth has them. And that's not because God's too weak. That's because 
hearts can get really hard really quick. Have you seen it happen? Yeah. Are you tempted for it to happen in your own life? I'll let you ruminate on that as I ruminate on that. But, you know, where we invest our money really tells the story of what we really value. And so the challenge I think that God gives all of us is, what story does my bank ledger tell about what I find to be important? Every one of us in this room, likely every one of us a part of this experience, whether in this room or not, from a worldwide perspective, we're loaded. What story does our stewardship of our finances tell about what we value? Well, the second point today is this. If we don't find our identity in worldly identifiers, where do we find it? By faith, we find our identity in Christ. By faith, we find our identity in Christ. My senior year of college, I was challenged to go to a conference down in Greensboro, North Carolina. I believe that's where it was. It was a Campus Crusade for Christ called Christmas Conference. And you drove down on December the 26th and you stayed there through the new year. And it was, it was a great experience. Um, the speaker was Dr. Al Moeller, who's the president of Southern Seminary. It's the first time I'd ever heard him. And they had all these worship services early in the morning for college students. College students, do you love early in the morning? No, you can tell a freshman, they have the 8 a.m. classes. All the upperclassmen have figured out a way to get away from the 8 a.m. classes, amen? That's how you do that. But uh, we would go in early in the morning and, and the theme of the conference was, who am I? And Mueller said, you know, from a naturalistic perspective, you're just a collection of cells. Your only point is to survive and reproduce and make more that survive, that they can be fit. And in your cosmic accident, you're a great coincidence that all the factors came together and formed the blob of organic material that is known as you. That's the naturalistic perspective. But that's not the perspective of those who trust and follow Jesus, for we recognize that there's something much, much greater going on. Laying aside for just a moment all the apologetics and all the arguments that make the notion that we somehow just coincidentally formed together out of organic material and are who we are for this moment, um, that, that, that takes a lot of faith to believe that, just to be honest with you. But what does God tell us we are? Well, number one, he tells us that he made us. Do you know that God made you? He did. He formed humankind from the dust of the earth. He breathed the ruah, the breath of life, into us. But you know, the Bible says about you that he knit you together inside your mother's womb. He made you intentionally. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding your conception, God made you on purpose, with purpose, for purpose, that you would know him and be known by him and trust him and follow him. The Bible further tells us that I am a sinner who has attempted to rob God of his glory. I wanted God's glory for me. Just like Satan, the enemy. I wanted some of God's glory for me. I wanted to dethrone God to some degree because he tried to tell me what to do and I don't wanna do what he says to do. I wanna do what I wanna do. So I turned away from what he said to do and to be and I chose my own way and that's called sin, and that sin separated me from him. But hear this, 
The Bible tells me that I am the beloved one of Almighty God, and so are you. That he so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, if you come to Christ in repentance and faith, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life in Jesus Christ. And through Christ, you are the one who is destined for eternal glory, a glory that so far surpasses any suffering you've ever had to endure for a moment of your life, a glory that, that tells you that one day he will wipe every tear from your eye. No more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more ache. And we talk about a lot here that life on this earth is this odd mixture of joy and ache. And one day in Jesus Christ, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more ache, only joy. And if you're in Christ, that's who you are. So it's not about how much you have or don't have. It's not about the size of your family. It's not about what your major was or whether you were an athlete or in a fraternity or sorority or whatever it was you did. It's not even about how much you can bench press. All those things matter, but they come in a strong second to what matters most. Is your life fundamentally rooted in Christ? Is your identity fundamentally built upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Everything else comes after that. At the bottom of your notes, I included a verse that the Apostle Paul wrote. Remember, Paul grew up rich, and he forsook it all to trust and follow Jesus. He really did. Had the best education, had the best teacher, had a silver spoon all the way through. And he said this in Galatians 6, 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? Paul's saying, look, I've, I've had the best of the best. I've also been abased. The world doesn't have anything that can eternally impress me. And because I trust and follow Jesus, the world is not impressed with me at all. And that's okay, because I have Jesus, and that's what matters most. And as long as Jesus has a hold of me, it's going to be all right. I'll trust him, and I'll follow him. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.